Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, Phoenix Live View got a minor update. This brings it to 0.18.17. So we have a link to the change log. You can check that out. Really, it's just one bug fix and two enhancements. So it's just a heads up that this is a good little update to get. And one of the things that is improved is that when you're using Live View function components, and you're using the attribute, the ATTR, to describe things. And if it references a struct, some improvements were made so that it doesn't get the compile time dependencies on that struct. So it just helps with that compile time graph that we've been talking about in the past. Very cool. Can always use a smaller graph when it comes to compiling. So a new case study was added to the Elixir Lang website. It's been a bit since we've seen one of those, right? They were coming out quite regularly for a minute there. The company is SparkMeter, and from the post it says, SparkMeter is a company on a mission to increase access to electricity. They offer grid management solutions that enable utilities in emerging markets to find financially suitable, efficient, and reliable systems. So it showcases how they use NERVS, Phoenix, and Broadway. One quote we like from their VP of engineering, he says, without NERVS, we would be on our own to figure out a lot, how to dis do distribution, the development environment, how to support different architectures. So really, it's a battery-included framework to do production-grade embedded systems. All right, speaking of uh, companies using Elixir, Discord, another company using Elixir, wrote a blog post titled, How Discord Stores Trillions of Messages. We've highlighted Discord before. They've released a couple of Elixir libraries that actually leverage Rust, I think, for some certain data models. But this one is about their database storage, which is always interesting. It's not really about Elixir, but <laughs> I still thought it was interesting enough to highlight. It gives an interesting insight to working with data at that scale. You can imagine Discord handling lots of messages all the time, trillions of them. So how do they store that? So they talk about how they moved from Cassandra, which is their database of choice before, to, into ScyllaDB. And that's S-C-Y-L-L-A-D-B. So here's a couple of quotes. I'll kind of cut to the chase of what that changeover looked like, but it's a good article. You should read it. It's not a one-to-one. -one. We just, you know, changed out the database underneath. It was also a re-architecture, so it's apples to oranges here. But here's a couple of quotes. After they've been using ScyllaDB, it's been a quiet, well-behaved database. We're not having weekend-long firefights. They're not juggling nodes in the cluster to attempt to preserve uptime. It's much more efficient, so they're going from 177 Cassandra nodes to just 72 ScyllaDB nodes. Again, it's apples to oranges, because each ScyllaDB node has 9 terabytes of space, whereas Cassandra had 4 terabytes. But it's nice, right? That's a lot of machines you don't have to manage anymore. They also say that their tail latencies also improved drastically. Here's the interesting part for me. For example, fetching historical messages had a P99 from between 40 to 125 milliseconds on Cassandra, with Scylla having a nice and chill, this is what they said, nice and chill, I like that, 15 milliseconds P99 latency. So from 40 to 125, quite a range there, to a pretty consistent 15 milliseconds. And message insert performance going from 5 to 70 from Cassandra to a steady 5 in Scylla. So it's much more consistent. So that sounds great. Thanks to the aforementioned performance improvements, we've unlocked a new product UK case now, so they have confidence in message databases. Anyway, 
cool study. I uh, encourage you that if you have that kind of scale, you know, you should definitely read along what Discord has in their blog. So now I have a personal task of going to go investigate what Scylla DB is about. I've heard about it, just the title, but I don't know anything about it. So now I got to go learn. Yeah, it's the first time I've heard of that database. But I haven't had a need for that type of data either. So <laughs> yeah. And next up, there is a blog post from Sean Moriarty on using Elixir with the Whisper ML model and Bumblebee to do audio speech recognition. If you go check out his blog post where he has code samples and everything, they use an MP3 that they're doing uh, audio transcription of. I had to laugh because it was such an honor that Sean's example uses our podcast as the source for the transcription. So I, I love that. <laughs> from the article, he said, the file I uploaded was downloaded from the Thinking Elixir podcast and ended up getting truncated. In order to transcribe longer audio clips, the episode he grabbed was a 20-minute-ish news-only episode. So he continued, to transcribe longer audio clips, you need to chunk the audio file into sequences that fit into smaller chunks of time. And when I started playing with Bumblebee and the Whisper model in a live book, that was the problem I ran into, that it would just stop after a certain amount of time. So I'm not actually sure how to do the chunking. And I don't know if that chunking has to be intelligent, like what happens if that arbitrary chunk of audio is, comes on a word boundary or something like that. Will that still work? So I still got more to learn there because we would love to be able to possibly add transcripts. That'd be awesome. Fly.io. It's a great place to run Elixir apps with many global regions, a private network that makes it easy to cluster your app, and a powerful CLI. It's something you should really try out. Experience it for yourself at fly.io. Well, have you ever asked yourself how you might cluster across network providers, maybe AWS to your house? Well, neither have I, but Richard Taylor <laughs> has solved the problem. This is actually kind of interesting, jokes aside. He's figured out how you can cluster across anything you want using Tailscale. So he wrote up a blog post. Tailscale, if you're not familiar, it's a fast, reliable VPN built on WireGuard. lets you connect machines in your house to machines in different data centers or wherever the heck you can connect to the internet, really. He also built a little library which leverages libcluster to use Tailscale for that cluster awareness. It's a pretty fascinating article. Yeah, I'm a fan of Tailscale. I just think it's cool. I use it at home and I'll connect up to my Fly instances using that as well. So I love Tailscale. So yeah, it's just really neat to see, hey, maybe you have multiple AWS data centers and the whole, how do I route things and make those bridge properly? It's like, well, you can just do a Tailscale network to connect them. The, the idea of going cross cloud providers, that's pretty cool and crazy. It is pretty cool. And and honestly, like something really practical is like if you have devices at your house, you know, like I have a server, I just tail scaled my laptop and tail scale my server. And I have a secure tunnel to my house that took like less than five seconds to set up. It was insanely easy where I don't remember the days of OpenVPN ever being remotely easy to set up. I give up before I even try. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Tyler Young shared a PSA of sorts about using module attributes in Elixir. So we got a couple of links to those. Also, Elixir Lang, you know, has a page that talks about what module attributes are. So if you want to learn more about that, using module attributes is normally not, not an issue, right? But if you're using module attributes to store like large amounts of data at compile time, 
it can be a little tricky on how you reference it. So for example, if you store, well, let's use a blog, right? You've compiled your blog into a posts module attribute. And then you use that at posts, you know, like several times in your code base, you're effectively copying that module attribute multiple times over. It's not one copy of it being referenced. That can, you know, <laughs> that can be a little foot gun, I guess, to memory usage and, you know, compile times and like artifact size. Uh, so the key to remember is to load it once and use functions to access the data after that. That's the fix, right? So you can still put your posts into the module attribute posts, but then have a, a function I guess called def posts <laughs> that, <laughs> that accesses that multiple attribute. And instead of going directly to your multiple attribute everywhere else, just use that function. Just put those little parentheses there and you should be good to go. This issue came up for me recently as I experimented with building an article system using Nimble Publisher that loads the articles into the app at compile time instead of loading them from a database. What was really cool is that the Nimble Publisher docs were very clear about the right and wrong way to do it, and they showed examples, which was really helpful. But thanks, Tyler, for the nice tip on something to be aware of. And next up, Andrea Leopardi released version 1.0 of Nimble Options. So I guess we're in the Nimble library right now. And he described it as, hands down, one of his favorite libraries in Elixir. And primarily, it's useful for library authors. What I thought was notable about this, one, that a library made it to a 1.0, but it was his thoughts and discussions on why it went to 1.0 as well. First of all, let's mention what Nimble Options is. It's a tiny library for validating and documenting high-level options. So it helps process and document options that get passed to functions. Specifically, we think like CLI type input for you know something like Mix or something like that. And uh, we talked with Andrea a couple weeks ago, and we learned how he helps maintain a number of Elixir libraries for the community, and this is one of those. So on the topic of it becoming 1.0, what he said was, Jose made a great point about releasing 1.0. Maybe we shouldn't. And the reasoning was that an eventual static type system would either make this library completely obsolete or change it fundamentally in requiring a whole new version, major version change. And that's likely true. But on the other hand, this is Andrea speaking, I'm thinking more and more that it's important to provide 1.0 of libraries when they are stable because it really highlights the maturity of our ecosystem. I do like that idea, you know, that stable libraries should go to 1.0 because it is a signal to people. And it's especially people who are coming from outside the Elixir community where if it wasn't 1.0, I don't touch it. So if the library is stable and mature, it's nice to be able to show that in the versioning. You know, now that he says that about the type systems, we haven't heard anything about that in a while. I wonder how that's going. I know. But the fact that Jose was thinking about that. It's obviously yes. going well. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian Cartarella recently shared slash teased some potential with LiveView Native, a screenshot of macOS, watchOS, iOS app interfaces all being rendered from a single Phoenix app. And it's some pretty exciting potential that we're seeing here. If you're thinking of giving a talk about Elixir, Sunday Mint, the MC of last year's ElixirConf US, by the way, is organizing a meetup to try out your pitch and to get some feedback. You know, she was the MC of ElixirConf US. That doesn't mean that you have to pitch it for ElixirConf. It could be for anywhere. It's just a meetup to give a short pitch and to get feedback about your idea. So the meetup is happening on March 28th at seven o'clock Eastern time in the US. If you're 
you need that other set of eyes, other set of ears to validate some ideas, this is a good opportunity to, to do that. So we'll have a link to the meetup and it's on March 28th. So you got about a week to figure out if you want to do that. And next up, we're happy to hear that ElixirConf US was announced and we have dates and a new location. It will be September 5th through the 8th in Orlando, Florida. So that's not in Disney World, but it is apparently pretty close. It's instead held at the JW Marriott Orlando Bonnet Creek Resort and Spa. Ooh, spa. Hmm. But if you don't want to physically go there, that's totally cool because there are going to be virtual options as well. So registration for the conference is not yet open, but you can book rooms if you're going to be traveling to the area and group rates are available. So be sure to use the link on the ElixirConf website and not just going directly to the hotel. And ElixirConf Africa will be the 26th and 7th of May online only and the call for speakers is open. Since you don't have to travel to Africa, you should sign up. It'll be online. Consider submitting. Yeah, and then you can hang out at that meetup with Sunday to practice your pitch. But hey, traveling to Africa sounds fun. I'd travel there. Yeah, it's a long flight, though, for, for me. <laughs> but yeah, that'd be pretty cool. And that's it for the news.